Okay, guys, a few weeks ago, uh, Jacob Dolezal shared with us uh, a message that he termed a practical application epilogue uh, to our last series. And that series was seven things that every Christian should know about their Bible. Using three scriptures, Jacob summarized uh, the content that we had covered throughout that series. And, uh, and I thought he did a tremendous job. I really appreciate Jacob in, uh, in everything that he does. But Jacob's message was an example of a key focus of our church, which is uh, proper biblical interpretation or a, a striving towards proper biblical interpretation. Um, we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. In last week's message, Barney shared with us an overview of biblical unity, and of course he did a great job at that as well. Um, We learned that God both creates and desires unity. Do you remember that? God creates and desires unity. Um, So you kind of look at that and you say, well, what what does that mean, Nathan? If God creates it, why does he desire it? He just creates it and it's done. Well, he creates it and he has called us to preserve it. So he creates it and he desires that we maintain that unity. In Psalm 133.1, we hear that the scripture says how good and pleasing it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. God wants us to do this. In uh, John 17.20, Jesus himself is praying for the unity of believers. He's praying that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Um, But we, again, have a responsibility to maintain the unity that God has created. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, we are to make every effort to do so. Make every effort to preserve unity. And we're to do that through a certain filter, through the filter that is called the bond of peace. We, as Christians, are bonded together. This is a really important um, principle for you to know or a a truth for you to know. And that is that the church is comprised of those who have surrendered to Jesus. That does not mean that the church is uh, uh, only attended by those who uh, surrendered their life to Jesus. It just means that when we talk about the assembly, we're not just saying an assembly of people. We're saying an assembly of saints, an assembly of believers. And so we are bonded together as the body of Christ and we are to be a people of peace uh, as we go about this life. And we're to be a people of peace with each other. Uh, and that doesn't even mention the fact that according to Romans, insofar as it depends on us, we're also supposed to live at peace with all people. Now there you go. There's a, there's a tall order. We're supposed to live at peace with each other, and we're supposed to live, as far as it depends on us, live at peace with all people. So this is a big task, right? And this is... Not always an easy task, is it? It's not. Uh, sometimes it's really hard to like Jerry Clust. But, but most of the time, most of the time, Bettina does. Uh, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure I do. No, I'm just teasing you. Anyway, uh, it's not always an easy task. Uh, and, and this is an okay thing to admit, church. It's an okay thing to admit. It's an okay thing to look at each other and say, there's times I love you and times I don't like you. You know, uh, I'm not saying that to you. I'm just I'm saying it's, it's, it's okay that we can do that. Sure, <laughs> my dad says sure. Anyway, but uh, we can say that to each other. But the, the goal still is to, to refocus and aim towards unity. Uh, Jocko uh, Willink says that the reason discipline is so hard to maintain is because it's hard to maintain. 
Don't you love the, the profundity of that statement, right? The reason discipline is so hard to maintain is because it's hard to maintain. Likewise, the reason unity is so hard to maintain is because... It's hard to maintain, right? Especially when we're supposed to be a people of peace among a diverse community, a diverse community. And that's what we're going to really be getting into in this series. We're going to be looking at the the kind of uh, mixture of people that are represented within God's body. In this series, we're going to understand what it means to be at peace and unified as a collection of difference while we learn to celebrate those differences, okay? And each and every one of us. You might look at that and say, Nathan, I don't, I'm doing good. I don't see many differences. Well, that actually is part of the problem. We don't see many differences because we have become a collection of sames. We have become a collection of likes. And so we often look like each other, we we think like each other, whatever it is, but we're supposed to be a collection of difference and we're supposed to be at peace with each other. Uh, After that, we're going to kind of equip... uh, each other. I'm going to equip you. You're going to help equip me on how to do this so that we can show the world God's grand plan for his church. Our series is titled, titled A Celebration of Difference, and today's message is really a question that we're going to answer, which is, what is the church supposed to be apart from a community of those surrendered to Jesus. Scott McKnight, author and professor of New Testament at uh, Northern Seminary, says this. He says, The church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. He goes on in his book to say, When this coming together happens, we show the world that love, justice, peace, reconciliation, we show the world what all these things, including life together, are designed by God to be. So we're going to start with our title question this morning, and we're going to pick at this uh, so that we can understand better uh, what the church, again, is supposed to be. There are countless answers to the question what the church is supposed to be. Again, over and above that we are a group of people who believe in Jesus, right? Countless answers, and much of those answers have to do with our opinions and our traditions. Can I get an amen? Much of it has to do with opinion and tradition. For example, our upbringing often determines what we think the church is supposed to be. And, and you may look at this and say, not, it's not true of me, Nathan. Uh, it's not actually true. Well, I will prove that it is true. It's true of each and every one of us. I can tell you that a lot of judgment is actually passed on churches regarding their effectiveness and their value, regarding whether or not they should even exist, based on whether or not that church looks the way the person passing the judgment grew up. So you grew up in a certain church, you look at, you, you knew this culture and this life, and then you walk into a church and you're like, that ain't a church. <laughs> and we all do it. We all do it, okay? And so all of this is just informed by who you are. Some of the things that you might judge and that you might think are, well, does the church have a youth group? And does the church youth group look like X, Y, or Z? And if it doesn't, that's not a real church. Well, good for you. You're judgmental. right? It doesn't mean you're right. It just means that's what you know, right? Does the church believe in dot, dot, dot? Fill in the blank, guys. And if it doesn't believe what I believe, then that can't be a legitimate church. 
Does the church baptize correctly? Do you baptize babies? Do you baptize adults? Do you dunk them in the water? Do you hold them under for three minutes? I mean, whatever it might be, but you may think differently than the person next to you. The list goes on and on and on. Of course, the Bible does teach us the correct answer to this question, but most of us tend to believe that our way of doing things is the only correct interpretation of Scripture. Can I get an amen on that one? This is so sad. But we do this all the time. And the most judgmental are the people who think that they're not judgmental. It's so funny how this works. They're like, well, he has the problem. I don't have the problem. Okay, that's fine, right? Once we settle the question of what the church should look like, it really is just going to open up uh, kind of Pandora's box, and we're going to have to answer a bunch of other questions. But one of the most important questions that we have to answer after we answer the first is what should the Christian life look like? And why is that the case? Because the Christian life is a byproduct of the church. Did you know that your individual life is the byproduct of something else? You are the byproduct of the culture your parents created. You are, this church, or the individuals of this church are a byproduct of what this church preaches and teaches and the culture that it presents. And you don't even know that you are becoming that. But it's true. It's so fascinating to me that after 11 years of watching a congregation grow and shrink and ebb and flow and do all these things, the people that are still here, I, I love watching their, uh, their Christian life play out because it is very different than when it started. We have been a church that is focused, as I shared before at the beginning of the message, uh, we have been a church that focuses on what does the Word of God say? Do we wrestle with this Word? Do we understand its truth, right? And as we've been wrestling with this, I've seen an entire community of people read their Bible more. I've seen an entire community of people start to talk about things like context and start to, to, to look at the Bible critically. I've seen that. Why? Because you're shaped by the culture around you. You are always, we're always shaped by the culture around us. I was shaped by the high school culture around me. I was shaped by the college culture around me. We're shaped by the church culture around me. Not one of us just gets this on our own, okay? We are shaped by this. So the reason why the Christian life is such an important thing or an important thing to look at is because it's a byproduct of the church. So the Christian life then happens to be a way to tell us what the church is focused on. This can, of course, be a great thing if the church is doing what God intends, but it can be a very bad thing if it's not the case. We are all shaped by the life of the church this is where the celebration of diversity places, uh, is, uh, is presented to us and it places a great demand on us to live a particular way. I want to do a brief exercise. I'm going to kind of switch over here for a second. But uh, I, I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to participate with me, audience participation here. I want you to answer the question. I want you to answer honestly, and I want you to answer in an unfiltered way. I'm not worried about what you say, okay? Uh, because this isn't about right or wrong answers, okay? Um, here's the question. What is our church, Pierce Point, what is our church about? Now, you might answer, I'm just giving you some examples, you don't have to use them. You might answer and say, our church is about worship, or our church is about prayer, or our church is about teaching, right? But I want you to answer the question, what is our church about? Serving? 
giving, love? Now, don't tell me the answers you think the pastor wants to hear, okay? Just do what? Knowing the Bible. Digging deeper into the Word. Making disciples. Figuring it out. Figuring it out. Amen. <laughs> this is why I love him. <laughs> what else, guys? What else do you see this church being about? Community. All of these are really important, and I'm not, of course, going to remember all of those, but uh, what we need to do is we need to analyze how the things this church are about affect your individual life, right? So somebody says, figuring it out, I love this, because what does that, what does that look like in the individual's lives? If the church is about figuring it out, then that means when I look at your life, and I see this all the time, I see a collective group of people and an individual set of people, right, in families or whatever, that are often just trying to figure it out. And that's a beautiful thing. And I, I love that because you have grace on me to do it, and I have tons of grace on you to do it because we're just trying to figure it out, right? Somebody says serving. If the church is about serving, what will the individual people's lives look like? They will be servants, won't they? You'll see more generosity among the individuals. You'll see people who are like, hey, I'll help you move. Barney's and Tina are moving here soon uh, to a closer location. So that was his pitch. He told me to advertise. And he didn't tell me to do that at all. But right, so, so if we're a serving people, we're going to serve one another. If we're a church of prayer, what are we going to do? We're probably going to be praying right? Because you think of it opposite. You say, I brought this into the culture of the church. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. The culture of the church built that into you. And maybe you just happened to come from another church that also had similar culture, and you are finding it that you, you like it because you're like, wow, that fits with me. But the truth is, the culture of the church shapes the individual's. And it's, it's never been more evident than when you see people change over time. When you see the things they want. I grew up in a different church environment completely, right? And the people in my life that were deeply ingrained into that world are not the same as the way they used to be. Why? Because that's not the way our church works. That's not what we do. That's not our focus. This really is important because, again, the life and the culture of the church shapes the people that we become. Jacob did a great job two weeks ago, and Barney did a great job last week because we're a church with a culture of figure it out. Because we're a church of a culture of understand our Bibles better. Because we're a church that wants to understand and wants to grow. That's why. That happens because that's the culture we have. So I want to shift gears. With that in your mind, I want to shift gears a little bit and say, what is the church supposed to be with regard to its diversity? Now, right away, people are going to go into this political idea, but I really want you to throw all the political nonsense away because I, I don't care about it, right? I don't care about it. That's not what this is about. I'm talking about something far more grandiose. I'm talking about something that transcends far more than just cultural uh, identities and, and arguments that the world presents to us or politics in general presents to us. Although ethnic and cultural diversity are absolutely included in what I want to talk about, I'm talking about a lot more. 
Let me ask a couple of questions, and I want you to just think about these. Does the church, does Pierce Point focus on true diversity of gifts listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Or are we the kind of church that picks the important gifts, right, and tries to fit everybody into that similar mold? So in other words, if you're not going to be a teacher, if you're not going to be a preacher, if you're not going to be a worship leader, if you're not going to lead in Kids Point, we don't have much use for you. Hopefully we're not that we're not that church, guys. Do we see a different do we see different genders in our church? Well, you're like, well, of course we see different genders in our church, Nathan. Okay, better question. Do we value them the same? Do we? This is really important. This was what led to the Paul Women and Wives series. Do we value both genders the same? Do we see different socioeconomic groups in the church? Or is our church really only focused on middle class or upper class Americans? Because, well, they can pay the bills. We've got to ask those tough questions. We've got to be a people that say, it doesn't matter who you are. You are welcome in these doors. You are welcome to walk this journey with us. Do we see different races at our church? And listen, when it comes to this question, uh, a lot of what you have to do is work with the surroundings you have. But you have to make a culture and a church that is welcoming to the idea. Or people are like, I ain't going there. Right? That has nothing to do with me. I'm not going to go there. The church I came from uh, previously... Before we planted the church, uh, we had a lot of discussions about this because during that time, there was this huge push for, um, for racial diversity in the church, and that's a good thing to push for, but there was this big push for racial diversity in the church. And the pastor would say, we need to, and I, I hope this doesn't offend you in any way, he, he said, we need to have more black people in our church. And I said, okay. I said, that sounds awesome to me. I said, but let me ask you a question. Do you think Milford is the place to find that? I said, or do you think we should just look for the cultures that are actually immediately around us? Next door in an apartment complex, right next door, we had an entire apartment complex filled with Asian Americans. But we were concerned about black people coming into our church. That's awesome, but you should probably worry about them too. Right? Because what do we do? We actually just listen to the politics around us and think we're going to make ourselves better with our little pats on our back or whatever. What we need to be is a a place that is just welcoming to everybody who walks through the door. Right? It shouldn't matter their color, their creed, their ethnic background, whatever. It shouldn't matter. Right? But then all of a sudden we have to target something because we think that we're, well, we just want to feel better about ourselves, which is absurd and stupid. Right? What we ought to be is actual people who love people. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> right? So, so what are we supposed to do? Well, I sat there and had this conversation. I said, I think we should just reach out to the people that are around us. Welcome them in. Make space for anybody and everybody. But that didn't fit the narrative of the time. That didn't fit the agenda of the time. And so it was just a weird idea, apparently, what I was presenting. But that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be a welcoming people. Amen? To anybody and everybody who walks through these doors. So do we see different church cultures in our church? 
Or do we see different cultures, not church cultures, but cultures in our church? What, what do I mean by that? I mean, I mean when you go to different countries or when you see people from different cultures, they actually live life differently. They, they do a lot of things differently. They have tons of practices that are different. Do we welcome that in our church? Or do we want them to become Amelia people, <laughs> right? Which doesn't even exist. Ew, <laughs> don't start with me. Don't start with me. Oh, my goodness. Amelia people. Ew. Anyway, I like my non-town town. Anyway, okay, right? So do we, do we care about these cultures? Uh, do we celebrate those differences or do we panic? Have you ever been in a church where the culture, uh, the culture that a person came from uh, shows that they worship differently than you? Like they run the aisle or something? And you're like, oh no. <laughs> right? Like put a shock collar on the Pentecostal. Anyway, right? Right? So I, I don't think that's a bad idea, actually. Anyway, okay. So sorry, I digress. I digress, right? So do we do we celebrate those differences? Or does Nathan make bad jokes about it? <laughs> right? Right. Do we see different music styles at the church? Do we? Or do we have contemporary Christian radio all the time? Let's go even further on that. Do we have contemporary Christian radio from the, from the year 2021 or 2022? Or do we still have contemporary Christian radio worship music from 2000 when Chris Tomlin was our King David? Right? What is it? There's nothing wrong with Chris Tomlin. It's just, what's the deal, right? This doesn't even scratch the surface, guys. You guys are all like, I don't even know what's happened. Give me, give me two weeks off. This is what happens. Okay. Anyway, I'll take more off. But anyway, so okay. Do we celebrate differences in artistic styles in the church? Or is music the only art form that we care about? What about the other art forms? What about, what about painting a background for a, for a Christmas play or an Easter play that is unbelievably beautiful. What about that kind of artwork? Do we welcome and accept different moral histories at the church? Or when we find out about your story, do we brand you with a scarlet letter? Think about it, church. How about our communication form? Do we allow for different types of communication? Do we even give attention to the visual learner? Or are we just focused on 45-minute lectures like this is a college uh, room, classroom? I don't know, but it's not a good thing. How about the latest generation who lives more online than in the physical world? Are we obsessed with saying church looks like this, rows pointing forward? You know that there is a massive exodus going on in the church right now. Do you know that? Do you understand that, that this, is, this is sad? But when you look at the numbers that are happening in the church, those who associate with no religious affiliation or uh, anti-religious affiliation, atheism, uh, and those who just don't know agnosticism, is skyrocketing. Okay, It's going up drastically. It's going up drastically because Christians don't have good arguments because we're, the Bible told me so, and that's not a good enough argument, quite honestly, with the world, right? So, so this, this nuns and these unbelievers are skyrocketing. And then what we have is we have a church down the road that says, we're growing, 
and everybody's patting them on the back. But if the culture is not growing in its faith and the church down the road is growing, how do you think they're growing? It's not because they're winning the culture. It's because they're taking all the other people from churches that are most likely dying and closing their doors. Or from a bunch of people who can't seem to get along with each other because of their differences, they get disgruntled and they walk. Welcome to American church. This is the way it works, guys. Do we include people of different marital statuses in our church? What do we do with singles in our church? Or what do we do with those married, those in between, or those who've been divorced? Or do we even care? It's a very important question. Do we involve different ages within the church? Do we focus on young people and kids? Do we care about the elderly? Or are these groups and others like them invisible in our midst? I've got a very important question. And I want you to be brutal in your honesty. Show of hands, who feels invisible in this church? Who feels invisible in this church? Raise your hands if you feel invisible. I don't want you to shy away from it. I don't want you to not be vulnerable. So there's a couple of people that do. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, I've learned now that while those who speak about one's miseries usually hurt, those who keep silence hurt more. Oh, I know this deeply. If you feel invisible and your hurt is silent, you're going to hurt deeply. What are we supposed to do? Well, a celebration of difference means that those who are invisible or those who are silently suffering are seen. That they're comforted and that they're welcomed into the community. Because no matter what position you find yourself in, you are of great value. Let's turn the corner to idolatry. I mean ideology. <laughs> it's the same thing. Anyway, right? We have to ask questions about diversity in this realm too. Does the church understand that the Christian life uh, is to be a fellowship? Or are we a collection of lone rangers? Can you answer that question? Does the church understand itself to be a social revolution? Or are we a spiritual one? Or are we both? Can we respect the differences that we have in our opinions on these things? Could we possibly actually enjoy each other in these differing opinions? And even in we, when we disagree, can we live at peace with one another? Or do we just find another church? Because this is the culture we live in. We just walk. And we don't do everything in our power to preserve unity. We don't do it. We don't even care that God said it. We're just like, nice. We're still going to find something else. That's what we do, right? We are to make every effort, church, to preserve the bond of unity. It seems as though the church today would rather have uniformity, though. A collection of sames, a collection of likes, instead of a life-changing diversity. Most people gravitate to cultures that reinforce how they already are. But what God requires is a church that celebrates the differences among us. So as we bring today's message to a close and we kind of get ready to launch into uh, what I'm going to talk about next week, I want to share with you three scriptures, okay? 
I'm going to put them on the screen. I'm going to walk back there and I'm going to kind of point these things out. But I want to talk to you about the real important ideas that we find within the text of Scripture. um, The wisdom we find within the text of Scripture that talks to us about this diversity that we have and how we're supposed to celebrate it or where it comes from and why we should celebrate it. Okay? So we're going to put this up on the screen. First, we'll talk with Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. What are the three levels of diversity that are present just in this verse? There's ethnic, there's culture, or there's uh, um, socioeconomic, it's your status in life, you're slave, you're free, right? And there is male and female gender, okay? And guess what we're supposed to be? All one In Christ Jesus. There's the key thing. Now, does this passage say, does God's word say, no distinctions exist now? No. No. The Apostle Paul actually confirms this. When he's talking to the Romans, he says, uh, uh, what advantage is is there in being a Jew? And then he answers his own question. He says, much in every way. They were the ones, we were the ones to whom the promises were given, to whom all of these great blessings were given. There's a value in being a Jew. But at the same time, who are we in Christ Jesus? One people, right? Is there value in being free over being a slave? Be honest with me. Of course there is. There's great value in that. But are you different from the one who is a slave? No. As a matter of fact, Paul addresses this too when he's dealing with the household codes in Ephesians and other places. He talks about this idea that says, Masters, you better not get on a high horse because you have a master too. In other words, Masters, you're a slave to somebody else. That's God, right? So we're all one because in God we are all brought down. We're all equal as his created beings, okay? Male and female, is there a distinction in genders? And I don't want a political answer here. Yes, biology dictates what we are, but guess what? We are one in King Jesus. We are one in King Jesus, which leads us to the first piece of this unity, and that is this beautiful unification of a diverse group happens one way, in King Jesus. Apart from King Jesus, what we will do is we will find our likes and our sames, and we will gather, and we will act like we're diverse, but the truth is we're not. We just found the amount of things we can accept that are different. But if we're in Jesus, male, female, slave-free, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. And it goes even further than that. American, Ukrainian, Russian, China, whatever it is, we're one in King Jesus, right? So let's go to our next passage of Scripture. Go ahead and put this up, guys. John chapter 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have... What? What? Okay, there we go. Thank you, Jerry. Love for one another. So number one, we're unified in King Jesus. And number two, we're going to be marked by actual love for one another. And love, like Jesus says, to love like he loved, is a love that doesn't just get miffed and walk away. It's a love that actually lays down one's life for the other. 
It's a huge deal, isn't it? Okay? So this celebration of difference is such a big deal because it's made possible in Jesus and it's made, uh, it's made actionable through love. Okay? That's something that we can do. Now I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 12. We talked about gifts earlier, right? And the diversity of gifts. I want you to see the reason why our uh, unity uh, mid-diversity is so important. So here's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. Verse 4 uh, through 6. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. The point was, there's a lot of things happening in Corinth. There's a lot of giftings that are going on. And everybody's kind of splitting and talking about who's the favorite or who's the best. And none of that matters, right? There are varieties of gifts, and they're all working in all persons through the same God. So he goes on in verse 7. Go ahead and click over, guys. Verse 7. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why do we need each other? For the common good. We need each other to grow together. We need each other to build one another up. That is an absolute truth. So we have In Jesus, that's how this unity happens. We have love, which is how it's made actionable, and we do so for the common good. We're building one another up in all things. But Paul goes on, and it's really beautiful, the image that he gives us. So verse 8. Are we having a delay, guys? Okay, verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit... And to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, keep going. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually. Does everybody have every gift? No, but each one individually, right, just as he wills, but what was it for? What did we just say? The common good, okay? Now let's go on to the next verse. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. Does that sound familiar? Same message that he's delivering to the Galatians. And we were all made to drink of one Spirit. We're all brought into one king, one kingdom, one Spirit, right? And he goes on. For the body is... Go to the next verse, guys. I don't know what just happened there. That is the next? Oh, yes. Okay. Where did my reference go? It just disappeared. So anyway, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. Is it not for this reason any, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. See the idea here? The idea is just because you are different doesn't make you not apart. It actually means that we need each other. Because we're made one in Christ Jesus, it's made actionable through love, right? It is for the common good. And the way God made us, and this goes beyond our giftings, the way God made us 
is the way God individually willed to make you. Are you an extrovert? Well, he made you that way. Are you an introvert? He made you that way. Do you have certain gifts? Good. God made you that way. And we need each other inside of this, right? Because if we don't need each other, what we're actually saying is that the head can get along by itself without a body. That's absurd. It would be like saying the body's fine without arms. We're not fine without arms. But, and this is where we've gone wrong, we've actually cut our nose off despite our face, right? So funny, or in spite of our face. I don't know what the statement is. But anyway, the idea here is that we've done this in a really bad way because we actually think, let's just keep the sames together. So a collection of people that belong to the hand of Christ are all gathered over here, and we don't have any need for those other people, you know, the arm that we're attached to. This is not a good plan, okay? This is not a good plan. And guess what? You, let's say we're all making up, let's say everybody in Pierce Point Community Church makes up uh, the fingernail of God, right? Okay, on this pinky finger, right? Let's just go real small. If, if that's it, it doesn't matter your race, creed, color, background, moral history, or anything, you're still a part of that same thing. Did you know that? Because for whatever reason, God made you wired for that purpose. And I think that that's such a beautiful thing, right? So it goes on, next verse. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? Let's keep going. But now there are many members but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. You feel invisible? You are necessary. Right? And those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, what are they? On these, we bestow a more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. Because they're seen, they're understood, they're known. Finally, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. This is the celebration of difference that we are. This is the people we're supposed to become. This is the unity we're fighting for because the need is great. The need is so great. We cannot make it out of this life without each other, which is why God put us together, for the common good. Amen? So the question again, what is the church supposed to be? And I'm just going to appeal again to Scott McKnight, who I think has a brilliant answer. The church is God's world-changing social experiment of bringing unlikes and difference to the table to share life with one another as a new kind of family. When this coming together happens, we show the world what love, justice, peace, reconciliation, and life together are actually designed to be. So tomorrow, or tomorrow, next week, (laughs) you're coming back tomorrow. Did you know that? Church is going again. Anyway. What's happening next week is we're going to take our 
first step in this series, or our next step, I suppose. And we are going to talk about grace. And why are we going to talk about grace? Because y'all need it. No, <laughs> because we all need it. Amen? When, when there's division and when there's misunderstanding and when there's chaos, what should you give? A lot of grace. A lot of grace. The scripture says to not entertain accusations against people uh, lightly, but instead uh, under the kind of under the guidance of two or three witnesses, right? We're supposed to hear multiple witnesses on something. You know what it takes to get to two or three witnesses? Grace. It takes grace. You know what happens when you believe nonsense the first time you hear it? You've shown no grace. Way to go, right? We've got to be a people of grace. We've got to be a people of, of such abundant grace that we look like our Heavenly Father. Where even though people are hanging His Son on a cross, the heart of that Son, the heart of our King, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is a big deal, right? So we're a celebration of difference. We're all going to be different. And that's a beautiful thing. And we're going to do that through showing each other a lot of grace. So I hope that you'll be here next week for that. And we will dig in um, in, a, in quite a big way because grace is something we need to understand better.